Hello, everyone, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast series run by the Institute of Public Administration Australia in partnership with Content Group and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. I'd like to begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the lands on which we're many across today, both the Ngunnawal people and the Gadigal of the Eora Nation. I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of both of these places and to the broader region. IPRA is a professional body focused on the promotion of excellence and professionalism in public administration. We are a non-profit, no-partisan organisation that works in partnership with the public sector, private sector, academia and other institutions to provide a platform for discussion and debate about improving and striving for excellence in public administration in Australia. The Work With Purpose podcast series was launched in early April last year in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. The series has provided an insight into how the Australian Public Service has responded to the pandemic, with leaders from across the APS joining the program. My name is Isabel Franklin and I work at the Department of the Prime Minister and Cabinet. I'm joined by Megan Aponte-Payne, who works at the Australian Trade and Investment Commission. We are both on IPA's Future Leaders Committee. Now today we have a very special guest joining us. I'd like to welcome Dominic Price, who works at Atlassian. Atlassian is an Australian software company that develops products for software developers and project managers, and Dom works as their resident work futurist. This means that Dom is Atlassian's in-house doctor who designs collaborative patterns which are easily adaptable for any purpose. Dom is joining us virtually today from Sydney. We're so happy to welcome you to the podcast, Dom. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation today. Now I'd like to hand over to wonderful Megan, who will kick off by asking Dom a couple of questions. Thanks so much, Isabel. So Dom, 2020 wasn't good for any of us, but I hear it was particularly tough for you. How so? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few parts to that question. One is, I, I, whenever I reflect on 2020, I, I think everyone had a different experience. There was some commentary at some stage that, yeah, we're all um, we're all experiencing the we're all in the same boat, and actually. I differentiate it. I think we, we were all in the same storm and we're all in very different boats. I think some people have been in luxury yachts floating around and actually have had a great year. Um, certainly some people in the stock market have had an amazing year. And, and then others, I, I think, have genuinely struggled. And I, and I think what, what inadvertently what we've created is a system that it's more than two tier. It's, it's an infinite number of tiers. Uh, and hopefully one of the things we've got out of this is a level of compassion. Yeah, for me, for me personally, 2020 was a year that it's an odd one. It's a year that I didn't want to move on from because of what happened in it. I didn't want to move into 2021 because I hadn't dealt with 2020 yet. There was sort of two major milestones for me outside of the pandemic in 2021. Uh, my own surprise diagnosis with, with bowel cancer. Um, a semi-surprise. I, I had a, a family history, so I went and got tested every year, but certainly not something I was expecting at the age of, of 42 to get the call going, oh, by the way. And I was like, oh, that's, that's the thing that happens to other people, right? Um, and sort of fast track through a, a surgery there that was uh, in, a, in a typical blokey fashion. I decided to ignore all the consults, go for the surgery, and only when I woke up in hospital work out what had actually happened. I was like, "Oh, you've cut giant holes in me." That of course that makes sense. I should have read the leaflet you gave me. Um, and so that was that was one sort of giant milestone of, of sort of understanding my own mortality and life stage and, and sort of. Yeah, this this view. I think we all have at some stage that we're completely indispensable, and then you're like, oh, I'm actually quite fragile and, and breakable. But also, we're all anti-fragile. Like how we come back stronger. And I think I, in a weird way, have, have come back from that stronger. The, the second experience with my uh, my sister, who's also my best friend, Trudy, uh, got diagnosed six or so years ago with with uh, breast cancer, and. 
you know, in the middle of the pandemic, I was in a situation where post-surgery, not only was my doctor not wanting me to travel, but the government weren't going to allow me to travel because we closed the borders. So I was very fortunate that I, I managed to get one of the compassionate exemptions and get back to the UK and spend a couple of weeks with my sister. Uh, sadly, she passed away in, in, in May last year. Um, and that in itself was a strange moment. The, the fact that I was able to get back and spend the time with her, which I, I didn't think I would do, you know, having that, that very precious time in that final moment with it, with a loved one. But then the weirdness of coming back to Australia and spending 14 days in quarantine. And again, a two-tone experience in part, a horrible experience to be by yourself for two weeks. In others, a great forcing function to go, well, I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere. I can't distract myself with a myriad of things. I can't even open a window. So I might as well just use the time to reflect and think and kind of recenter. Like, what do I want from life? I've, I've had two experiences that I wasn't expecting. I can either use them, I can either let them bury me or I can use them as a foundation to build upon and, and, and try and get bigger, better, bolder, stronger from it. And, and I chose the latter. So it, it wasn't a terrible year. I mean, I, I had my own illness and I lost my sister and, and those two things were really bad. But, but I think we actually run the risk of letting things like that paint a picture of, of, of our entirety versus going, well, she was in my life for 42 years and she was an amazing person. That's great. That's better than nothing. Um, and so how can we continue to live life? Otherwise, we, we might as well just stop and give up. Mm. It's so interesting that for you, you actually frame COVID or last year less around COVID and around other things that happened in your life. And I think... Mm. It's, it's quite interesting, and I, I'm, I'm in Canberra, but I imagine particularly for our, our friends in Melbourne last year, that you know, the, t- the amount of time that you talk about must have been just amplified for them. And you hear, yeah. you hear stories about um, mental health issues really coming to the fore and people just being left with their own thoughts. What do you think it was in your case that enabled you to be stuck with your own thoughts but somehow turn them into focusing on the positive things that you'd had in your life rather than dwelling on the tough things? Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know. Like, and, and I think that's okay. Like, it's weird. I, I can't pinpoint uh, a certain feature or capability I've got. I'm, I'm no superhero. I don't have a cape. Um, I, I, I think all that happened was a, a moment of just going, I'm at a fork in the road. And I think it's the same thing with the pandemic. I've got plenty of friends who, who bad things have happened to them, whether it be COVID-related or other, and they've gone, okay, that's happened. I'm going to spend an amount of time um, mourning, um, stressing, getting annoyed with the world, you know, getting really angry and getting wound up. And then I'm going to ring fence that time. And then I'm going to spend the rest of the time going, well, what can I do? Mm-hmm. Right? Because th- th- there's something about finding the things that are within your influence or control and doing something with them. And, and I think for me, I-, I don't know whether this is like my English upbringing or, or what, but I-, I think there's always people way worse off. Yeah. And so I'm like... Yeah, it's not ideal. Like that last year was pretty terrible in some parts, and you know, there's, there's terrible in some, and, and good in others. You're like, okay, so, so that's life, right? There's there, there's there's no there's no perpetual motion of days where everything's absolutely awesome. Otherwise, we, we won't be bothered getting on with it. And so, I think it's how we deal with those low moments. And again, even with not just Melbourne but the rest of the world. Yeah, for me, yeah, I, I've been battling recently with with a whole lot of guilt as Australia has started to open up more. Mm. And every Sunday evening, it's FaceTime back home to the family in the UK. And they're like, we haven't left the house. And I'm like, well, I've been to the beach and a concert and a rugby game and saw my mates in the pub. And, and, and here's all the things I've done. And it's, it's, it's not a lack of empathy. It's sharing the truth of, of what I've been doing, which is what they want to know. But I think we, we've got to have an appreciation that everyone is, again, even still now, 
experiencing this very differently. But I still think the focal point of going, what can I do, is going to be infinitely more valuable to us than woe is me. Right? Mm. Not, not that we shouldn't you know, have that moment of something bad's happened and, and I feel terrible for it, but going, that in itself isn't a thought that's going to get you anywhere. So how can we... And it's the same in life and in work, right? I, I think that transposes across to the work situation where you're like, oh, I didn't get a promotion. I'm going to sit and sulk for a year. Or, <laughs> or I could get some feedback as to why I didn't get it, find the things that I can do and start to experiment and explore. It's the same amount of energy, sulking or action. It's just one of them moves you forward and the other one leaves, you know, moves you further backwards. Exactly. In, in fact, the one I think almost justifies to the people who didn't promote you why you weren't ready to be promoted. There you go. Yeah. The irony, right? When, 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 when someone says to you, you know, we're not going to promote you and you have a tantrum and they're like, the reason being you're quite immature sometimes. Like, yeah. I'll stop banging the table then. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to pick up on that thought about about work and in particular I wanted to talk a bit about presenteeism and productivity mm. and working from home and how working from home has brought those ideas to the fore where I think, you know, before COVID, the idea that we could be anywhere but the office and actually be productive was yeah. insane. But now I think we've all accepted that it's perfectly possible. I wish, I wish that was true. I honestly do. I, I, I love your optimism. I do. It's infectious. Uh, and I think if we could have more people in power with that mindset, the world would be infinitely better. The, the reality is, and it's a sad reality, is, is that certainly in many ranks, in many organisations, the, the narrative I'm hearing right now is, is we need to get people back. And not, not for any other reason, let's be honest, than lack of trust, right? Um, and it, 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 it's probably important that we separate uh, styles of work, right? There are uh, knowledge workers across the world, um, over a billion knowledge workers in Australia. A large percentage of the workforce is in that knowledge worker space. And that's people who are using their brain. They don't physically need to be at a desk to perform a task. Um, there is also a huge amount of our population and workforce in Australia that aren't knowledge workers, right? They're, they're practical workers. Um, and they do need there's some physical aspect of their role. And they do need to be in a certain environment to perform that role. And I think that's important, even if you look at it at an organisational level. You know, I was doing some work recently with the, uh, the, the head of HR for, for Woolies, and, and she was explaining, she's like, some of our workforce are knowledge workers, and, and a whole load aren't. And so if we're talking about flexibility and presenteeism, right, for someone running a store, that's very important. For someone in head office, less so. How do we do that in an equitable way? If we want to introduce flexibility, how do we do that so it's fair? And I think that's a great conversation for us to have as, as a workforce. How do we do that for different people? I think there's a few things I'd, I'd love to challenge here. For me, presenteeism is something that, if, if we call it what it is, which is a lack of trust, um, it's been apparent in the workforce for a long time. It's been due an overhaul, just like nine to five, Monday to Friday, has been, been due an overhaul for knowledge workers. But we've struggled with it because mainly because of things like productivity, right? This, this idea, and we have to remind ourselves, a lot of people forget Productivity is a measure of output over time. Um, quite conveniently in the last year, people have missed the time bit. And they're like, oh, you did more outputs. Well done you. And you're like, yeah, they didn't commute and they worked their commute time. And, and the leader's like, I, I don't care. I mean, they, they produced more widgets, so I'm over the moon. And I've sent them a mental health app, so they'll be fine. It'll be all right. And you're like, I, th I think you're missing the point. Um, and, and so the, the conversation needs to evolve to going, well, productivity is probably the wrong measure for knowledge workers. So it's around effectiveness, it's around impact, it's what are the outcomes we're trying to achieve. You know, I was doing a, having a conversation the other week with an author, and he explained, he's like, it's not how many words I write, it's how good the book is, yeah. right? And, and, and it's obvious, but you're like, you look at most, most organisations, and the thing they're measuring as productivity is how many words did you write? And you're like, but what if the words were crap? 
And they're like, it doesn't matter. Like, how many, like, write more words. What can I do to help you write more words? And, and I think we need to evolve that conversation. Again, it's been due an overhaul for a while, but we, we need to really put the pressure on there. I think the scariest thing right now is actually more around diversity and inclusion. Our push for presenteeism removes flexibility in the workforce, which means that we can hire diverse people. They're not going to feel a sense of inclusion. They're not going to do the best work of their life because we're forcing a time frame on them that is not flexible. And that nine to five, Monday to Friday, precludes certain people from work. People that have an amazing mind, an amazing heart, amazing emotion and intelligence are being precluded from the workforce. Why? For no, for no sane reason. And so I, I think if we, we start to look at diversity and inclusion, you know, and we have the honest conversation, we've probably gone back 15 years. You know, the, there was a stat, um, the US in December lost a net of 140,000 jobs from the labor market in the US in December. 100% women. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And you're like, oh, like it, it's such a bad stat. It, it's like if it was 90%, I'm sure there'd be more headlines. But at 100, it's so bad. You're like, I'll give up. Because it's, it's, it's so bad. And then one in four women in the workforce in the US are thinking of leaving because of care responsibilities or they earn less than their husband who's in the same job as them, but 83 cents in the dollar. Like, and you start talking about stuff. And so I think this is an amazing opportunity right now for us to learn from the experiment. First of all, we have to accept the experiment was just that. It was an experiment. It had weird constraints. It had weird situation, weird environment. But there's a whole lot of stuff we can learn. But we need to do that on purpose. It won't happen by accident. Bad things happen by accident. We need to do it on purpose and understand what kind of environment do we want to build. Because if we've gone back 10, 15 years in diversity and inclusion, we can accelerate that. We can get that back through meaningful remote and distributed work. Right by giving access in the labour market to people that can't work Monday to Friday, nine to five, or can't physically work in a, in an office. And so you go, that's amazing, but we have to do it on purpose. And, and right now, I'm seeing the, the, the token conversation. Mm. I'm, I'm not convinced that, across the board, I'm not convinced I'm seeing the follow through. Uh, uh, the statistic you gave on, on women is, is re- really hits home for me because I'm a working mother myself and I turned down what was potentially a dream job because they couldn't give me a laptop. And my argument to them yeah. was... If I have a laptop and I have to pick up a sick child who needs to be taken home to sleep, I can log on from home and I can work yeah. the rest of the afternoon. The alternative is I take sick leave and I don't progress the work. So surely it's a win-win to, to you know, help me to help you. It's just, it's just incredible that I think there's been a real, um, it's been a really kind of hodgepodge of, of some organisations moving towards it and embracing it and some being left in the dark ages. I, I, wanted, yeah. I wanted to pick you up on your point about measuring productivity and I think one of the, one of the tricky things there is metrics and, mm. you know, hours are quantifiable, outputs yes. are quantifiable. How do you measure the quality of a, of a book as opposed to the... And, you, you know, look at lawyers, for example, who work per minutes... Have you got any ideas about how we can start to shift how we measure things like that? Yeah, I mean, there's some amazing work out there. I'm a massive fan. There's a, a guy called Barry O'Reilly. Um, he's, a, he's a bit of a minx on the Negronis, but he's a, he's a wonderful author. Um, wrote a book called Unlearning. And it's all about the, the transformation businesses and people are going through. And in there, he covers a lot of, of you know, what are the measures of success. And it's a popular topic. There's a whole of other authors out there. And I spoke about it as well. The idea of outcomes over outputs. You're right. Outputs are easy. Immediate gratification, it happened this week, how busy was I, right? But they're the weeks. 
right? When you get home and you've got your kid and your partner and parents and friends and the cactus and the dog and they're like, how's your week? And you're like, busy, 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 busy. I'm in a forum, busy in a committee, busy in a this, busy. And they're like, really? Like, it sounds soulless. And then there's other weeks when you get home and you're like, I nailed it. Like, I was effective. Like, like I had impact. I did stuff. You got paid the exact same those two weeks, but in one of them, you were a fun person to be around, right? And so it's like, well, what's the difference? And the difference is when we just think over a slightly different time horizon, so that's step one. So don't just think about the task. Think about when the task has the impact or effect. And then the second part, and this is the hardest bit, is who are you trying to affect, Mm. right? Mm. So if, if you think about writing a book, it's not how many words did I write, it's how many people read this and took an action. Right, how did I create a behavior change? And admittedly, it's harder to measure, but when you actually find ways, we talk about goals, signals, and measures. What's my goal? I want people to change their behavior. What's my signal? Uh, feedback, uh, questions from people, insights, engagement, cool. What's my measure? I don't know, I'll work it out later. And so I, I actually do them in that sequence on purpose. We, we borrowed it from Google, but goals, signals, measures is a sequence. Like you've got to know your goal, You've got to know the signals, like how do I know that I'm trending in the right direction? But the measures, sometimes they're hard to figure out. And often the most obvious ones, the ones that are right in front of you are the worst. And so often for some of our more speculative work, and and I do this on myself, I'm like, I I know what signal I'm looking for, but maybe I'll come back to measures later on. Yeah, 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 fair call. Look, uh, I'm loving everything you're saying and, and I totally agree. I mean, I think about public speaking and we tend to all be really nervous about making mistakes, but really it's about, it's actually not about us, it's about the listener and what they receive. Yes. And as soon as we focus on that, you know, we're yeah. okay. Um, in terms of everything you're saying, I agree. My, my question is, and I think this is something that both Isabel and I experience as fairly young people in, in the organisations mm. we work in, and we're not in formal positions of, of power or authority. How yeah. can we go about changing attitudes within our workplaces? Yeah, I, I, I love that question. Now, my caveat here, I, in my days in Deloitte, I did a bit of work in government. Um, it was, it, I think I had hair before then, and then it all disappeared. I found it very, very stressful. So I, I take my hat off to you. There's a level of patience and calmness required in your environment that I, I do not have as a feature. It's not a bug. It is a feature. Uh, it's just the way I am. I blame my parents for it. Um, the, the, the reality is, is that the step one is to acknowledge that we're all role models. And... This is certainly uh, for senior leaders that I work with both both across public and private sector. This is one of those like really simple things that sounds very profound and it's not that profound. So the stats show that on any given day, you're you're a role model to about 20 people, right? Your your partner, your kids, your family, your colleagues, like a whole lot of people look at you and go, damn, she's really successful. Like she's got it. And they copy your behavior. The thing is, they never tell you when they're doing that. Right, it, ha- it happens very subtly. And now it's good that they don't tell you because if they told you, it'd be creepy. If someone in the coffee shop walked up to you and went, I, I-, I love the way you run a meeting and so I'm role modeling your behaviors right now, you'd-, you'd call HR or the police, right? But what it means though is, is they don't know if you're exhibiting a positive behavior or a negative one. If you're in a foul mood today and you're grumpy and banging the table, they go, well, you know, Megan banged the table and she seems really successful. Maybe I'll try that, right? And so the idea is, is that if you want to affect change on others, you have to go first. Now, that seems quite controversial because a lot of leadership books, and I've read way too many because I, I used to travel around the world a lot and I'd use them to fall asleep to, 
is you read leadership books and, and they don't tell you about starting with yourself. Mm-hmm. They tell you about, about how to empower others, how to motivate others. It's, it's almost like as a leader, you get this little bag of magic dust and you're supposed to see a team that's in turmoil and you sprinkle your little magic dust and they're like, oh, I am motivated now. Thank you for inspiring me. <laughs> that never happens. It's never going to happen. Like you have to motivate yourself. You have to find your own purpose, your own passion. And then, and then you role model. And so, you know, I've been using a couple of examples recently with, with senior leaders, leaders of all shapes and sizes, to say leadership isn't a title. Now, I, I know in many organizations and, and industries it is. On the whole, though, it's not. Le- leadership is, is you deciding that you're a leader. You're leading something. You're leading a project. You don't change your title for that, but you're leading a project. Or you've got some people that you're working with. You're leading a team. And so it's this thing where, where most people that are upset by this, they, they will always, I get this a lot, certainly in the US, they'll go, oh, the problem is management. And I'm like, what, what level are you? And they'll explain, I'm like, are you management? Oh, no, 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 management's <laughs> the other people, right? And you're like, you're one of them. Mm-hmm. So, so therefore, be the change you seek. Now, admittedly, some environments, that's easier than others. What I say to a lot of people is, find something that you can try for free. You know, we, we ran this exercise about seven years ago in Atlassian called the Team Health Monitor. Like how you get your team together to assess the health of the team, all you need is a working thumb, right? Thumb up, we're good. Thumb sideways, we're not so good. Thumb down, we're a bit sick. And as a team, we do this on, on Zoom, where we do it online, we do it in person, whatever, and we vote. And then we pick one area and we focus on it to improve on, right? And, and people go, oh, God, that's, that's amazing. It's free, but that's always as a team going, what's not working? What do we improve? It takes the pressure off you as a leader going, I've got an opinion that things aren't great and I want to improve them. They're like, oh, here she goes again, off on a high host, probably promotion round, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or you get, I mean, and we've all worked with the leaders that do the peacocking. They wait for the performance review season and suddenly it's all about change. And you're like, no, just be authentic and be yourself. But I think role modeling is a superpower we all have in our artillery. And I think we massively underuse it, which is if you want to see change, go first. And if you then get the outcome, share the story. And so I had someone in, um, actually in the, in the US in a, in a, a public service um, office uh, in California, tried the health monitor, ran it with her team, had a great success. Um, one of her colleagues heard about it, got FOMO, got fear of missing out, said, <laughs> how does it work? She ran one for them. They'd run a few. They then went up to the leaders and said, we've run 10 of these. Here's the aggregate of what we're struggling with. Don't worry. We've already solved a few of the things because we're empowered and we've already solved them. However, we need your help on this other stuff. Right? There was never a giant 18-month rollout plan. There wasn't a project manager who ran it. It was just like, do it organically and do it within the context of the work you're doing. It, it's, it builds way more momentum. Yeah, totally. I really like that. I really like um, talking about incremental change yeah. and, and leading by example. Um, and you've, you've talked a bit, about, a bit about flexibility and a bit about kind of finding happiness and doing work that... I think you really enjoy because when you enjoy it, you do it well, you, you, mm. know, you influence others. Um, you, I know you've got a personal moral inventory that you also use to kind of try and measure some of these things. Yeah. Would you mind taking us through that? Yeah, so th- this actually was born out of my time in, in isolation and quarantine when I got so bored of the lack of TV and I just couldn't watch any more Netflix. I was like, I have to do something. And in trying to gravitate myself out of this, this kind of, of, of semi-morbid state of, of, of my own illness and, and my sister passing, I was like, how do we make sense of life? How do we make sense of our own happiness? Um, I borrowed it from actually from something called the quadruple bottom lines. It's, it's out of the world of finance. And, and the world of finance created this to say, if we only ever publish financial statements of profit, then that's all we'll care about. And actually, we know we care about other things. 
And so the idea of the personal moral inventory is to say, as a human, how am I going to score myself on four areas? One is productivity and profit. It's like the, the work aspect. And you can only score yourself minus one, naught, or one, right? There's no two, three, or four. Like, one's the highest you go. And you pick what a one means to you. So you're like, cool, productivity and profit, what am I? Second one is people around how I impact both my own sort of mental, physical health, but how I impact others around me, my family, friends, community. Like, it's all about humanity, right? Um, the third one is planet, right? How, how, what is my carbon footprint? How am I actually impacting the environment around me? So if you're a company, but this isn't for companies, it's for people, we're thinking about it in the company aspect, you could be making a shed load of cash, but if you're killing the planet at the same time, that's not a good trade-off. I'd rather you made less profit and save the planet. And you're like, oh, cool, now, now I understand. Um, and then the fourth area is purpose. And it's kind of purpose with a small P. It's not the superhero, I want to save the planet. Yeah, I, I need to remedy the world of, of, of food or, or like water shortage. It's going, what's my purpose as a, as a mum? What's my purpose as a parent, as a partner, uh, as a daughter, as a member of society, of, of work? And, and how do I find my purpose and the impact I want to have? Um, and essentially, you score yourself on those four things. And the areas where you're a minus one or zero, you're like, cool, what do I want to do about that? Now, now what happens is, and this has happened after I, I shared this late last year, the number of people that ping me and said, I've just done the personal moral inventory. I was a one on productivity and profit. And every goal I've got for 2021 was about productivity and profit. But my deficit is in people or planet or purpose. I need to rejig. I, I need to rebalance. And it, it's funny because these are highly intelligent people I'm dealing with, right? So it's not stupidity. And it, I don't think it's ignorance. It's just we get carried away with day to day. And occasionally you've got to stop and go, if I was to take an inventory right now, I, I, how would I score myself? Not how would someone else score me? How would I score myself? And what are the things, the corrective action I want to take? Because we know we've got limited time in, in the world and we all want to have, you know, we, we want to leave this place with some, you know, gracial uh, sort of departure and, and, and having had some impact. What is that impact? And it's very rare you hear someone on their deathbed going, I wish I'd worked a bit more. You know, I, you know, I, you know what I really wish? I wish I was more productive. <laughs> no, no one says that, right? They, they wish for like, they'd spent more time with family or friends or they'd left a legacy around the planet or delivered something of purpose. And you're like, well, if that's what you wish for in your deathbed, just front load it, right? Don't, don't wait till you're knocking on the door to do it. You, you can do that now by just taking stock of, of where you're at. And again, it's the same adage as before. It's what are the things you can do or can influence, right? What are the things you can take action on? So for me, you know, planet. I can't save the planet single-handedly, but since I did my, my last sort of personal moral inventory, I've gone down, I only meet maximum two days a week. I used to be probably six or seven. I've gone down to, to maximum two. Um, I'm recycling a huge amount more, reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, I mean, I've cut down on flying, not, not from, from choice, but my carbon footprint's improved. Um, and I'm doing a, a lot more stuff around investing in companies like Seabin that are trying to improve the ocean. So I'm like, there you go. Now, that's not going to put me as a one or, or anything higher, but it helped improve where I was at. Mm. And then once I've taken some action, I reassess. And, and you find they, they almost go out of kilter, right? I, I had a lady that I did the exercise with a few weeks ago, and she's like, I'm like a shining light one on purpose. And she's like, I used to be a minus one. And she's like, but I'm probably now a minus one on people because I've dragged my family up to Byron and I'm living this wonderful <laughs> hedonistic lifestyle and my family hate me. And she's like, so she went from a corporate role, full pendulum swing to hedonist, you know, yogi in Byron, but didn't take the family on the experience and the journey. And so she's like, oh, I understand now. I can have this and my family, but I need to rebalance. And you're like, yeah, there you go. It's just about like, f find where you're at, find your own inventory. 
and then find the, the action to take to improve. So I imagine when you're rebalancing, I imagine a lot of people listening are probably a, a one for productivity and maybe zeros or in deficits on the on the other three. And mm. I think COVID's probably allowed some people to to try and increase those other ones. But and I think sometimes it's it's time having more time to do a hobby or to to, to you know mm. help plant trees or volunteer or whatever it is. And so I, I feel like you might be able to identify how to increase those ones. But what if your your productivity you're having trouble in work because I imagine one of the easy ways to do it would be to reduce your hours, go part time. How do you do that when you've got a workplace that's not open or not used to this idea or doesn't actually care about those other three pillars because they're only interested in, in the one that affects them? Yeah, I mean, we did a re return on action report, I think late last year, early last year, actually, around the sentiment of employees and, and what they expect from their workplace, and it, it's changed. Right, it, it's changed an awful lot. They, they want companies to have purpose, to have values, to care about the planet. And so I just fear for companies that are creating environments where that isn't the case, because they're going to hire mercenaries that are just there for the money. There's going to be no growth. There's going to be no outperformance. There's going to be no consistent delivery. You're not going to have delighted customers and consumers. And so it feels like a really short-term bet, to be honest, that the ones that do invest in it authentically, and, and I use the word authentically on, on purpose, it's very easy to push out a corporate social responsibility report and go, we care about the planet and then do nothing about it. Um, you, you want to see the ones that actually follow through or authentically. But, but I think, first of all, you've got to realise employees have a choice. So em, em, employees have a choice. You know, we, we were quite, even you know, at pandemic times, quite low in employment rates. Mm. And so people will move, right? They'll move with their feet. They're, they're not going to tell you out loud that they're frustrated with your working style. Uh, similar like if you've got you know, micromanagers, right? Uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I was hearing lots of stories. I, I, people have been micromanagers they've now been reduced because people have moved on and, and, and companies have gone, hey, Bob, like your people keep on leaving and keep on telling us that you're micromanaging them. Like, we need to talk about this. And, and it's not a, an old person thing or a young person thing. It's about the willingness to unlearn and grow and develop. I, and we all have that capability. We, we have it from a very young age all the way through life. It, it's a mindset. Mm. The, I want to pick up on something interesting you said before, though, which is the notion of time, right? Um, we all have the same amount of time. It's 24 hours in a day. It's equally distributed. What, what we do have a decision to make on is our priorities. Mm. And, and I think a lot of people get the two confused. It's like, oh, I've not got the time to exercise. Well, none of us have if you fill your time with other stuff. But, but how can you find the balance? And there's some silly little hacks, right? I, I did a hack probably just about a year ago, right? I was starting to get really frustrated eight, eight hours a day on Zoom. So I flick at least one meeting a day to a phone call. I put my headphones in and I walk and talk. Now, again, I'm fortunate. I work with people that, that allow that. But that gives me one hour of vitamin D, stroll around the block. And actually, the medium of talking to someone on a phone is just refreshing for my eyes and my brain, right? Versus staring at a screen for eight hours a day. So there's, there's lots of little things we can do. I think the reality is find somewhere where you can have impact, where you can be the best version of yourself. And, and there's a reason this isn't just like selfish, like find somewhere where you feel comfortable. I actually need business leaders to wake up to something. And, and I know some people who will listen to this will love stats, right? Diverse enterprises outperform their competitors mm. 2.3 times on cash flow per employee, right? And they outperform their peers 25% if they have gender diversity and by 36% if they have race and ethnicity diversity, right? And they get 19% more revenue from innovation. Wow. So, so it's like, okay... Here's diverse, inclusive teams and the payback. That Here's the ROI. And they go, cool, okay. Mm. 
stop hiring people like you, right? And, and it's just odd. Like, I, I don't know how much more evidence we need to, to say that diversity and inclusion is a good thing. And then we go, well, it is. But as long as everyone works the same way, and you're like, well, that's not inclusion, yeah. that's exclusion. That's working your way, not 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 anyway. So I, I think we just need a bit of a wake-up call. Part of the danger in Australia, if I'm deadly honest, we've had 27 years of amazing economic success, and we've maybe got a little bit complacent and lazy. We, we think that digging things out of the ground and printing money and tourism will survive us forever without going, how do we invest in the education system and the current workforce to, to make sure we've got the right skills for future generations, for future roles. You just have to look at World Economic Forum and their, their future skills report. Like we are, we are sadly lacking in the skills we need to build robust and resilient industries, right? The future-proof in, in industries. We're well capable of doing it, and I think we've got a great foundation to do it. But again, we've got to do it on purpose, not by accident. So even if you look at reskilling, you know, I, I've been looking a lot at micro-learning, right? How you can learn it in the context of a role, not going doing... If, if you're like me, a 43-year-old middle-aged white guy, and we get a hard time, it's not easy being a 43-year-old middle-aged white guy, is, is how do you go about doing micro-learning? I'm not going to go to night school. I'm not going to go and do another degree, but I'm still capable of learning. Now, to do that, I have to first of all choose to do it. I have to find the thing to unlearn, the old habit ritual to forget, and then I have to go and learn something new and then go and apply it and accept that the first time I do it, I'm probably going to be rubbish at it. Like, so you need to park your ego at the door. If we do that as people and as an economy, we will create an amazing economy and future industries and, and, and sort of a country that thrives in another 27 years. But I, I think the danger is we look at the past as evidence of what might happen in the future. And, and I just don't think in modern times that's real. Yeah, totally. And I think you're right. COVID is providing a really good opportunity for us to all re-examine our own priorities, both mm. personally and and as a society. Look, Dom, that's been absolutely fascinating and inspiring. I was wondering if you have any final parting thoughts for our listeners who are thinking about how to reprioritise their lives or how to push for, for, for taking on more leadership type roles or influence within um, their, their workplaces. Yeah, it's, it's a good question, actually. My, my provocation would be Find the thing that you can do that you're not going to get fired for. And there's a lot of things on that list, right? Um, find the thing that you can do. And the thing that's probably stopping you from doing it is your own ego. And I mean that in the nice way. It's the fear of getting it wrong. But if no one else is going to try it, you'll be fine. Just sod it. Right? If you're not going to get fired, then it's, it's worth trying. If you're not going to kill anyone or get fired, those two criteria. Um, and then just try it. Right, be, be quite vulnerable and authentic with it and try it. And take a few people along, like tap a peer on the shoulder and go, hey, I'm going to try this thing. And I want to give people some pragmatic examples here. Um, we published our um, internal playbook, the way that Atlassian scaled, the way all of our teams work. We published it about seven or eight years ago. Um, it's called the Atlassian Team Playbook. It's online. It's free. You don't have to pay for it. You don't need a credit card or anything. And it's got a whole lot of, of like um, um, exercises you can do with your team. The health monitor I mentioned before, um, how you can reflect on a project and drive improvement, how you can reprioritize as a team, all these really simple like workshoppy exercises. Um, pick one of those and just do it, right? I've given you the template. There's the website there with all the instructions. There's a video guide. And so just find the thing that you can go and try. Even if it doesn't work, you'll learn something. Mm. You'll learn something about yourself, about your colleagues, about your organization. And so all I want your listeners to sign up for is every week, I should learn something new, right? Yeah. If you do that, if you put yourself out there and learn something new, and again, I didn't say succeed, because <laughs> if, you, if you're really experimenting and exploring, half the things will fail and you'll go, it's okay, 
No one died and I didn't get fired. <laughs> but the good news is I learned something. Here's the thing that I learned. And, and, and then you share that, right? And you create this, this kind of learning cycle. I think if we can improve our learning velocity as a society, we will create an infinitely better future than the past we've experienced. And I think it's on us to create that future. Thank you so much for your time here with us today, Dom. It's been absolutely fantastic to hear your thoughts on these issues. And in particular, I've really enjoyed hearing your thoughts on how we move away from tokenistic conversations about diversity and inclusion into creating real motivation and a real push for positive change in this space, about role modelling to encourage that behaviour and about reprioritising to ensure we're ticking off on those four Ps as part of our own personal moral inventories and to front load it rather than regretting not having done it on your deathbed. We really appreciate you being a part of today's podcast, so thank you so much. Thanks again to IPA, Content Group, and to the Australian Public Service Commission for your ongoing support. This program would not happen without the teams across these organisations, so thank you so much to you all. And finally, thank you to our wonderful audience for listening in to today's discussion. I hope you got something out of it. I know I certainly have. That's all we have time for now, but with the Work With Purpose podcast, we'll be back at the same time next week. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission.